Rick, yeah. Back it down to this is Wicket's World with Mike Wicket from the Bally Bet Sportsbook App Studio. Get social features, casino rewards, and exclusive games in one betting app. Happy Friday. Let's get right to it. Got a lot to get to. Uh, coming up, bottom of the hour, we will be joined by Michael Admire, the voice of the Drake Bulldogs here in Des Moines as uh, Drake will be hosting South Dakota on Sunday. But there's been so much NFL news. Remember, it was just a week ago that Aaron Rodgers was spewing whatever he was spewing on the Pat McAfee show at the same time I was on this show reading his ridiculous quotes. There has since been an I'm sort of sorry. We had uh, a lot happen in the National Football League. We'll get to the non-Packers stuff, but I do want to start with the Green Bay Packers and bring in a good friend of mine, Peter Bukowski, from his podcast, Locked on Packers. Peter, appreciate the time so much, my friend. Thank you for coming on. How are you? I'm good, and I, I should just say, because of the way you intro this, my wife is a Drake Bulldog alum. Really? Yeah. Well, how about that? Yeah, we are the home for the Drake Bulldogs. Uh, men play Sunday, women play on Monday, and I did not know that your wife went to Drake. Well, fantastic. See, it's a small world, Peter. I'm here in Des Moines. Your wife went to school in Des Moines, and we're here talking Packers. I love it. It is, uh, it is a world-collide moment for us. She actually played Division One golf. She was on the first Drake women's golf class ever recruited at drake wow the bulldog pride oozing through the bukowski household <laughs> i love it bulldog too i have a i have a drake bulldogs golf shirt you know sitting right here next to me that's amazing <laughs> um peter i, I want to get i don't know where to start with the green bay packers uh because so much has happened just in the last seven damn days it feels like yeah join the club mike uh you guys must be busy peter's podcast is fantastic if you let, let's let's start with with the the man Aaron Rodgers and what he said on Pat McAfee's show a week ago, the sense I'm sort of sorry without really saying I'm sorry, and and we're all kind of waiting around to see if he passes through day ten tomorrow to be ready. What kind of roller coaster has this been from your perspective for Aaron Rodgers? Yeah, the old I'm sorry if you were offended kind of deal was, was how it started. And then finally, you know, he said, I'm, I'm sorry for if anyone felt misled, which, of course, is not an apology. And then he, he later, it was almost like he got a text from his PR person or agent was just like, hey, try that again. <laughs> and at the, at, the, at the end of the interview, he, he apologized for misleading us. Um, misleading is, of course, the diplomatic phrasing of what he did. And I said it as soon as we found out he was unvaccinated that Aaron Rodgers lied. He lied. And if you want to say he was intentionally misleading, then you're saying the same thing. Those are the same. And they're, they're the same in the same way that immunized and vaccinated are, are the same, even though they're not, you know, it's close enough that we know what the intention was. And it got to the point where the people who were supporting Rogers were, were not saying mostly, most people were not saying, well, he didn't lie, although that was his initial uh, argument. It was, well, actually, he is justified in lying. He was justified in misleading everyone because it's no one's business but his, except that's not true either because his status affects the team. And so people, you know, they were mad at me for reporting on all this stuff, and it's just like, well, no, but his status, the fact that he is going to be out 10 days means he has to miss the Chiefs game and is not a lock to play on Sunday. Now, is it 95% chance that he'll play? Probably. But it's, not, it's certainly not a lock. Tom Silverstein 
And the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel made the case that, that for Aaron Rodgers' long-term health and the long-term viability of the season, the Packers would actually be wise to play Jordan Love again. And that was with how Jordan Love looked on Sunday, just because, you know, there, there are potential long-term complications um, with, with this uh, virus and, and how it can affect people. So it, it, a roller coaster, I think, is a, is a great way to describe it, although I, I will say I feel like I have mostly just been going up that coaster, I'm waiting for it to come down. If he throws five touchdowns on Sunday and they, and they win sort of like they did in 2016, maybe that's the down part of the roller coaster. But uh, I'm, I'm still just I, – I feel like a lot of people are probably just holding their breath until we see him back on the field and playing like Aaron Rodgers. Does he need more practice to be able to play well and, and win on Sunday? I mean, you know, wait, we're talking about practice, right? I, I, exactly, yeah. Uh, but – he doesn't need practice, no, but Marquez Valdez-Scantling was on IR. He missed a month. Even before MBS was hurt, that connection was not quite there. They were missing on deep throws. There were chances to hit plays down the field, and those two were not in sync. He does not have this entire week to try and build some of that chemistry. Devontae Adams did not look 100% coming back from his own bout with COVID. Um, he was vaccinated last week against the Chiefs. Um, but, you know, so if, if his movement skills are a little different, is that going to throw off the timing and the rhythm? In a vacuum, no. Aaron Rodgers doesn't need the week of practice. You go back to 2018, he basically spent the whole year not practicing because he was playing on what he said was a tibial plateau fracture, basically a busted kneecap all year, which is pretty crazy if, if that is, in fact, the case. Um, but he, 2018 was not a great season by his standards. So... You know, I, I think this is going to be a game where you feel like you want them to run the ball effectively. The defense has been playing great, and, and that's, that's a, a good part of all of this. It may allow them to ease back into this, but it would have, you would have felt a lot better about it if Geno Smith were the quarterback. It looks like it's going to be Russell Wilson. And although Russell Wilson has not won in Lambeau Field um, ever, um, that, is, uh, that is certainly a much taller task to be a Russell Wilson-led Seahawks team than a Geno Smith-led Seahawks team. Talking to Peter Bukowski, his podcast is phenomenal, Locked On Packers, and you can follow him on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski, joining us here on ESPN Des Moines. Um, what did you make of Jordan Love's debut? Should Rodgers not play? We don't know. I mean, the, like you said, the assumption is he plays. But... If he doesn't, what did you make of what we saw from Love a week ago? Well, I, I think it's, it's really hard to make an assessment on Jordan Love because of the way the Kansas City Chiefs approached him. They blitzed his pants off. I mean, <laughs> it was unbelievable. 51% of snaps by Pro Football Focus, they brought pressure. And I would say the vast majority of those were six and even seven-man pressures. They brought... They brought the zero blitz. Anyone that watched last night, um, the Dolphins brought that zero blitz. With, with no safety in the middle of the field, you just man up everywhere and you bring everybody else. And Lamar Jackson struggled with it. I, it's not something that, that you know, a lot of QBs are going are gonna to deal with in, in a, you know, a, just a matter-of-fact way. Every quarterback gets worse when they're pressured. Aaron Rodgers has the number one QBR this year when kept clean and the 33rd QBR. When he's pressured, by the way, only 32 teams in the NFL. So you can tell the difference, even good quarterbacks, when they're pressured versus when they aren't. That's not to say it was perfect. I think what, what Matt LaFleur said is really, is really um, important here. 
what he liked about Jordan Love and, and Matt LaFleur for all of the, I think, negativity over the, the performance, um, LaFleur said, look, I, I really appreciated the way that he battled. LaFleur took responsibility for the plan, said I didn't have a plan, a good enough plan for all the pressure looks, for the zero pressure in particular, and that's on me. But I love that it didn't phase him. He didn't start, you know, ducking his head. He didn't start looking at the rush. He didn't start making bad decisions or forcing balls into coverage. That most of the time the ball went where it needed to go. It just wasn't always accurate, which has been an issue for him going back to his college days. But he still made some really nice plays. He still made some really good throws. I think another week of practice with a game plan that is more tailored to his skills would, would really benefit him if, indeed, he gets to play this weekend. I think we would see a much better player. Um, but that's not to say that, that we have enough evidence at this point to say really much of anything um, about Jordan Love other than he is a young quarterback who's essentially a rookie who's had one real offseason and one real set of exhibition games um, to, to, to perform this offense. He, he, this will be the first time he's basically practiced in a real way with Devontae Adams since he's been in Green Bay. And, I, you know, that, that can't be understated. So um, I, I think that there is plenty of talent. You know, Trent Dilfer was on a, a podcast this week talking about a lot of the same things that Matt LaFleur was, and, and he said, look, uh, Jordan Love is as, as talented as everyone said he was. Um, but it was not a great, uh, a great first showing from him. Um, there are things he has to improve on, and, that, and that's, that's life as a rookie quarterback. No, most rookies do not come out and set the world on fire um, like Justin Herbert did, for example. When your running backs are averaging five yards a carry combined, mm. I, I don't yeah. understand some of the game plan and in-game adjustments, adjustments from LaFleur. I mean, look, Love was very jittery. Love didn't handle the blitz well. We've, we've gone over that. But if that's the case, why not stick with what was working and give the ball to your running backs against the 27th-ranked rush defense in the NFL, the bot, one, of the, one of the worst run Ds in the NFL, and alleviate some of this stress and, and take some pressure off of that quarterback? Why not give the ball to Dylan and, um, and I want to say Amon Green. It's not Amon Green. Why not give the ball to your Aaron, Jones. Aaron Jones? I don't know why I lost that. Why not give the ball to Jones and Dylan more in that situation? If there is one, one big criticism of, of Matt LaFleur that I have um, in terms of his play calling, and his, his offense last year was as good as, as you can ask for any offense to be, um, it is that in situations where the run game, even, even when it's working, but if it, if it doesn't work on a given drive, you know, they run it on first down and it's, it's second and 12 or it's second and nine, he can get a little pass happy. And, you know, he has Aaron Rodgers, and so I get it. Um, but, he, you know, wanted to get into a lot of these empty sets early in the season to help protection. And I'm just like, just run the ball. Yeah. You, know, you're, you're, you, you like to say that the offense is predicated on running it. So why don't – like, just once, just once, I want to come out of a game and go, you know, I thought they ran it too much. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know in the Matt LaFleur era if that has happened. And, and I say that. This is, it's a little weird for me to be saying that because I am the guy who's like, run defense, I don't really think that, I don't think it matters that much. Um, running backs, you know, the difference between one and another is not that big. And I think A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones are probably proving that. I think they have the exact same yard per carry average this season. Is that right? Wow. And, and, and so, like, it is a little weird for me to say, hey, I think they should run the ball more. But especially in a circumstance like this, um, they, they certainly could have leaned on a running game that was working. 
I think when you, when you also zoom out a little bit, this offense tends to bog down when they can't run it effectively, which is another reason for them to run it. Um, because they, once you get that going, it unlocks what they want to be. Now, Matt LaFleur knows the stats. He knows what the analytics say about the run game and the play-action game, that you do not need to run it effectively to play-action it effectively. But he, he can't quite put that into practice. And I don't know what the, what the disconnect is. I don't know if it is Aaron Rodgers not wanting to play that way. You know, I, I, I can't be sure. So, you know, I don't, I don't know that we'll know for sure and, um, until Jordan Love gets the full run of the offense and they build an offense around him. But I, I would like to see them run it a little bit more. This might not be the week, though. That's the thing is these corners are not very good. The safeties have not been playing great. And, and Seattle has no pass rush. But they do have a pretty solid run defense, 11th in, in schedule-adjusted run defense efficiency. I think, I think you're going to see, if Rodgers is out there, you're going to see a lot of spread. I think you're going to see a lot of passing. It might be a, a game where he throws it 40 times, and, and they run it in the second half to try and protect the lead. Be, just because of what this matchup um, dictates, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's how this all played out. But I think your point from last week is well taken. They absolutely could have run it more. Matt LaFleur said as much. In the second half especially, I mean, Joe Buck was, was on the game talking they were down 13 nothing and Joe Buck was talking about it like like it was 35 nothing mm-hmm. like oh they're sticking with the run game here it's like yeah it's a it's a two possession game what are you talking about talking to Peter Bukowski check out his podcast locked on Packers and you can follow him on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski here on ESPN Des Moines talking about the uh, the Packers and the Seahawks coming up 24 hours ago did you think the Packers were in serious consideration for the services of Odell Beckham Jr.? And then that all changed at 2.30. He signs on with the Rams. Yeah, I had, I had heard early in the process that Green Bay was maybe not his only preferred location, but a preferred location. And I think that was true the whole way through. Um, but but here, is, here is how, in retrospect, I think this went. The Chiefs were were really in the mix. The Saints were really in the mix. The Packers were really in the mix. And the Rams initially were not. Um, Once once Odell becomes available, that first day, you get the report. The only report that came out about an offer anyone made was Tom Silverstein reporting that the Packers were offering the minimum. And any time you hear in, in media reports of a Packers salary offer, be sure that that report is leveraged. <laughs> Just be sure of that. Like, write it in Sharpie anytime you see that. And so that was when my eyebrow raised a little bit. And I was like, okay, so I, he's only going to Green Bay if no one else is interested. And I think this is, I think this is exactly what happened. They, they leaked that. Um, so that a team like the Rams, where he reportedly always wanted to go, Peter Schrager mentioned that, that, he, that he's long wanted to play for Sean McVay. Jay Glazer said L.A. was always the place that he wanted to go, so that L.A. could go, oh, wait, if the other team that you want to go to is only offering you the minimum, then we can get creative and we can do some things. And, and what is so fascinating about how this ultimately played out is not what the money was because the base money, the expected money, is basically the minimum. I mean, they gave him a little signing bonus. His base salary is nothing. 
but he's getting a couple million dollars in um, earnable bonuses, not based on productivity, but based on how far the Rams go in the postseason. Well, those bonuses, for the, if the Packers offered the exact same contract, would count differently on Green Bay's cap because they would be considered likely to be earned precisely because Green Bay went to the NFC Championship game last year after beating who? The L.A. Rams. They are not considered likely to be earned by L.A. precisely because they lost to the Packers in the divisional round. So Green Bay beating L.A. actually allowed the Rams to offer a contract that the Green Bay Packers could not match. That's mind-blowing. <laughs> I did not know that. So, <laughs> so th- there's no way that Green Bay could have offered this, or could L.A. have always been able to up the ante? Well, so the, the, interestingly, the Packers have more cap space yeah. than, than the Rams do, but because of the way that these bonuses are structured, they mm-hmm. will not count against the Rams' cap the same way that they would have for Green okay. Bay. So they, okay. actually, they actually sort of de facto created cap space by the way that they structured these bonuses. Now, if they actually have to pay them out, they're going to have to get creative with the accounting and figure out and move some money around. But that, that's workable after the fact. Green Bay could not have offered this, this same deal and stayed under the cap because, like I said, it would have, they would have counted against the cap right away, and Green Bay, um, at least by my math, would not have been able to afford to do it. Man, I just I, they keep coming up with cap space over there, there in L.A. I, I don't know how they do it, but they just keep coming up with more and more cap room. Uh, Peter, I'm going to get you out. There's on always this. money in the banana stand. Well, I, I've always said, you know, people talk about extending Aaron Rodgers or whatever team extending it. You know, the Chiefs have the crazy contract from Mahomes that kicks in next year. You can always move. You can always kick the can down the road and move money and make a cap work. Whatever the salary cap says, you can always make it work if you get really creative. 20 seconds or less. If you had to bet your massive paycheck from Locked On Packers, who would you throw it down on to win the NFC right now? The Buccaneers. Okay. I, I, I think they have the most complete team, and until further notice, how can I bet against Tom Brady, that defense, and, and that group of skilled players? I think the Rams and the Packers are the other teams that I, that I could see winning it. I don't think Arizona um, is, is quite there. So that, those, are, those are the three teams that I think are all um, really contenders in the NFC. No love for the Dallas Cowboys from Peter Bukowski at Locked On Packers. Peter, thank you so much for the time, my friend. Uh, I will hopefully check in with you again very soon down the road. Of course, anytime. And say hi to your, your Drake Bulldog wife for us all here in Des Moines. We send a lot of love her way. I will. Bulldog, too. <laughs> Later, Peter. That is uh, Peter Bukowski on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. Locked on Packers for a fantastic Packer podcast. Joining us here on ESPN Des Moines. It was a wild, it's been a wild couple of days in the National Football League. We'll run through some of the big stories coming up also at the bottom of the hour at 1230. uh, Michael Admire, the voice of the Drake Bulldogs, will join us as Drake gets South Dakota uh, in the first game. I mean, they played co-college. I've never heard of co-college, and I've been watching college basketball for 30-plus years. I've never heard of Coe. The Bulldogs took care of Coe College, but South Dakota is next. We'll talk to Michael Admire at 1230 here on ESPN Des Moines. This is Wicket's World on 1350 ESPN. From the Valley Bet Sportsbook App Studio, get social features, casino rewards, and exclusive games in one betting app.
My thanks again to Peter Bukowski for joining me. Again, his uh, podcast is Locked On Packers. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. I'm Mike Wickett. This is Wickett's World here on 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. And I am uh, streaming as well over on the ESPN Des Moines Facebook page. And I stare at this computer that is doing the streaming for us, the program that spits it out so I can monitor how I look. Uh, Kira is our producer. And Kira, I, I don't think I've ever done my hair for this show. <laughs> I just looked at it. I'm like, I look like I just rolled out of bed. I'm unshaven. My hair is horrible. I mean, would you say I look unprofessional, unkept, poorly maintained? No. No? No, 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 no. No? No. Thanks, Kara. No. Thank you for lying to me. Oh. I appreciate that. I'm not lying. I am simply boosting your spirits. Look <laughs> mm. It's not as bad as you think. Okay. All it's right. honestly not as bad as you think. All right. You say so. <laughs> She's just trying to make me feel not as bad. She's not trying to make me feel good. She's just trying to make me feel not as bad. <laughs> Taking the, like, I, I'm channeling Aaron Rodgers, I think. Oh, you're immunized but not vaccinated. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. That's great. I'm, I'm not telling you <laughs> you look like you just rolled out of bed and came into the studio, but I'm not not telling you that. <laughs> Speaking of Aaron Rodgers, beautiful transition, Kara. Thank you. The punishment comes down for Rodgers. I'm not going to spend a ton of time talking about it. We spent a lot of time on the Packers already. Rodgers gets fined 14000 for the uh, Halloween party that he was at at the museum up in Green Bay. It's a cool car museum. They rented out a whole bunch of people there. Protocol is you're not allowed to be in groups of bigger than three. Uh, when you're off campus, he was there. He got fined 14.65 or whatever the number is, and so did Alan Lazard former Iowa State wide receiver. Uh, both got fined. The Packers got fined $300,000, which I think is ridiculous uh, in terms of total dollars. And I'm a Packers fan, and I want Aaron Rodgers on the field. But this was one light-ass penalty. $300,000 for an organization that is about to have a stock sale. So as you know, the Packers don't have an owner. Everybody who wants to be an owner, can be by buying a share of Packers stock. It's a way for them to continue to raise money to build stuff around Lambeau Field. The last time they had a stock sale, which was 10 years ago, they sold these pieces of paper, which are about as valuable as any piece of paper that I might have in this legal pad in front of me. 250 bucks. They raised $67 million to build new stuff around Lambeau Field and to help with the expansion of Lambeau Field and make Lambeau Field look really nice. $67 million. They're about to do it again, and I don't know what the price of this next stock release is going to be, but they're probably going to generate at least $67 million more. $300,000. And Rogers got fined fourteen five, and makes $40 million a year. No suspensions, no forfeiture of draft picks, none of that. As again, as a fan, I'm fine with it. But it just goes to show that these rules, yeah, I mean, they mean a lot, right? The COVID rules, slap on the wrist. That's all that was. Uh, moving on, other big uh, storylines the, over the weekend, or the week, I should say, in the NFL. It, we kind of talked about it with Peter Bukowski there. It's Odell Beckham Jr., who got released by the Browns. And I was spearheading the OBJ2GB movement, uh, trying to get Odell Beckham Jr. to the Green Bay Packers. And there are... OBJ is one of those players that divides fan bases because 
we like to have this illusion that Odell Beckham Jr. is the guy that caught the one-handed pass five years ago, six years ago, whatever that was, when he was playing with the New York Giants, and that he is a top-five wide, five wide receiver. Well, Beckham's not a top-five wide receiver. He's not a top-ten wide receiver. He's probably not a top-20 wide receiver. We, there's probably some, some real top-30 ability in Odell Beckham Jr., but if you're a team that's going to acquire OBJ, first of all, he's not going to go to a team. I didn't think he was going to wind up going to a team that wasn't going to p- compete for an NFL championship. And if you are a team that's competing for an NFL championship, the odds are you have some talent at the wide receiver spot. So whatever team was going to sign OBJ wasn't going to be bringing Beckham in for the purpose of being their number one wide receiver. Even if Beckham thinks he's still wide receiver one for any team in the NFL, that's not the case. So... When we found out that the names that were circulating, the teams that were interested, it was, what, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, the Green Bay Packers. For some reason, the New Orleans Saints caught his attention, but that organization has got no chance of winning a Super Bowl this year. And the Rams sneak in with a very impressive offer, a contract for them. Um, but you look at Kansas City, Green Bay, and L.A., Beckham's not going to be the number one at, in any of those stops. He would obviously be playing as the number two or three in a lot of those cities. Behind Devontae Adams, obviously in Green Bay. Behind Tyreek Hill and probably Mahomes' third option to catch passes after Travis Kelsey. And now that he's in L.A., he's going to be number three behind Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. And the question on everybody's mind looking at Odell Beckham Jr. now is, you didn't like not being the number one option for Baker Mayfield in Cleveland. How is he going to handle not getting enough touches not getting enough targets, not getting the ball thrown his way enough in L.A. I mean, the, the offense runs through Cooper Cup. The offense runs through Daryl Henderson. The offense runs, I wish it ran, as a fantasy owner, I wish it ran through Robert Woods more. Other than the one game, Robert Woods has been pretty disappointing. He and, and Stafford just not on the same page. And then here comes Beckham. And Deshaun Jackson was there, and he got released because he wasn't getting the touches. And because he couldn't get the touches, he couldn't make any of his marks and his incentives, so he wanted out. Beckham, as we just learned from Bukowski, said that OBJ's uh, contract has nothing to do with catches or touchdowns or anything. It's how far do the Rams go. And here's Ian Rappaport. Uh, He was on the NFL Network. Don't play yet. Don't play. Here we go. Here's Ian Rappaport on the deal for Odell Beckham Jr. with the Rams. So it's a one-year deal worth up to $4.25 million for Odell Beckham. And there are incentives in this, $3 million worth of incentives, that's based around not how he does, but how the team does. So basically he gets $1.25 million base salary, a little bit, uh, half of that or a little less is in a signing bonus. But the incentives are interesting. And it includes things like $500,000 for the team, getting a buyer or winning a wild card game, uh, $750,000 for subsequent playoff win, $500,000 for reaching a Super Bowl, $500,000 for winning a Super Bowl, all of which is to say the way the contract is structured plays much more of an emphasis on team goals rather than personal goals. Now, the money was similar in some places. Uh, for instance, the Patriots, the, the Seahawks, uh, the Saints were among the teams that offered more than the minimum. Among the teams who offered around the minimum were the Chiefs and the Packers. It's not like this was about money, but certainly the Rams offering an opportunity to make back what he gave up to leave Cleveland was a factor. And also, he gets to stay, he gets to play in a city that is 
Los Angeles. I mean, imagine if the money was equal. And I think he, he obviously got a little more with the incentive-based contract than Green Bay or Kansas City was offering. It's tough to sell Kansas City in the winter or Green Bay in the winter versus Los Angeles. That's a tough sell. And if you're going to go to Green Bay, you were going to be behind Adams. You were going to be asked to block. You weren't going to be the number one guy. And it was really, really cold for a lot of your games. All right? Meanwhile, in L.A., I know they have a trip to Lambeau in about two weeks. And they have to play in Baltimore, I think, the final week of the year, the Rams do. But for the most part, you get to play in Los Angeles. You get to do the Hollywood thing. His buddy LeBron James is there. He's friends with Von Miller. So the question is, did he really ever want to go to anywhere besides L.A.? Or, as we found out, using that Packers minimum offer or the Chiefs minimum offer to leverage it, was that the play, the plan the entire time for Odell Beckham? And I can't fault the guy. If he wants to go somewhere, he wants to go somewhere. He trains in L.A. He used to live in L.A. He's got friends in L.A. OBJ strikes me as a guy who likes the glitz and glam and spotlight and the look at me and hanging out with famous people. That sounds like Odell Beckham Jr. Los Angeles, probably the right spot for him to do all of that. You know where, where, where the wrong place is? Green Bay, Wisconsin. All right? There's not a ton of celebrity life up in Green Bay. Not a ton of celebrity life in Kansas City. Some, the sexiest man alive is from Kansas City. Paul Rudd. He's got named Sexiest Man Alive, so congrats. But OBJ, I thought this was going to play out up, th- up until the weekend, but he goes to L.A. I don't know when he's going to get on the field first. I don't think he plays Monday night, but I've been wrong a lot, so we'll see if he plays Monday, but he'll be the third option. And the fact that the contract is incentive-based for the team's goals and not his is strange, but we'll find out just how happy he is being the third banana, fourth banana. I mean, they got a good thing with Higby and Henderson, and Cup and Woods, they're giving, they're giving Matt Stafford a whole bunch of weapons out there. So uh, good for Stafford, good for the Rams. Bad if you wanted him uh, on your roster, if you're a Chief or a Packer or a Saints or a Patriots fan or whatever the case may be. We'll get to more NFL straight ahead. They dispatched of Co College. What's next for Drake? We're going to talk to the voice of the Bulldogs, Michael Admire, next on ESPN Des Moines. Phone lines are open, 515-244-1350. This is Wicket's World on 1350 ESPN. One zero two one FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. I'm Mike Wicket. This is Wicket's World. All right, so coming up on Sunday, you'll be able to hear more Drake men's basketball. It's crazy how quickly time flies. We're already back in basketball season. Joining us right now on the line, he is the voice of the Drake Bulldogs. He's Michael Admire. Michael, how is it? How do you feel after that huge win over Coe College earlier this week? Man, we're flying high. <laughs> we're flying high. No, it was, uh, I guess the biggest thing was it, kind of what you alluded to uh, in the introduction there is just like, it, basketball's back. Uh, so it, it felt really good to, you know, roll the ball out, you know, tip it off, uh, drop the banner uh, from the NCAA tournament uh, season a year ago. And, uh, yeah, kind of start the journey to another one. And uh, we're here, uh, a lot of guys back. And it's just, it's just exciting because, you, know, uh, you know, around campus, whenever, whenever games are happening and you have football still playing and, uh, you know, Soccer just finished up last week, uh, and now both basketball teams kind of getting into their seasons. It just 
it, it brings a whole different energy around campus. So all good around here, man. Michael, the expectations are very high, once again, for Drake. Uh, they're picked as the favorite. A lot of guys coming back last year. Uh, well, how's Coach DeVries handling all the expectations that are there for Drake this year? Yeah, I just, I've always really appreciated how Coach has, um, when it comes to you know, any conversation, whether it's the injuries or, uh, yeah, expectations, just kind of any of those maybe uh, faux, faux pas type topics, Coach has always, you know, the streak last year, 18-0. Yeah, he, he attacks them and, and is open and honest about it, and that's basically what it's been like uh, with the team this year. It's, hey, we have these expectations. This is what we've wanted, and you guys have earned that. Now you have to kind of go out and, and prove it, and you're going to get everybody's best shot uh, night in and night out. And uh, I think that's kind of been, yeah, the approach is that uh, embracing the, you know, preseason selection, knowing what it's worth. You know, it's mostly just a, a tribute to what the team did last year and the players that are coming back. But also, you know, that is the expectation uh, within this program right now is that it is to, you know, win a championship and make it to the NCAA tournament. Talking to the voice of the Drake Bulldogs men's basketball team, Michael Admire here on 1350 and 1021 ESPN Des Moines. You can hear the Bulldogs take on South Dakota on Sunday afternoon at 2 right here on ESPN Des Moines. The, correct me if I'm wrong. The starting five we saw uh, the other day against Coe, assuming everyone was healthy last year. I know Penn got hurt late in the year, but that was the starting five for most of the year last year, correct? Yeah, the entire starting five is back. Yeah, uh, yeah. When Roman went down, and then uh, Tank went down. Uh, that was a bad week. I remember that was a horrible, yeah. like eight days or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was a, it was a tough stretch. You lose your uh, leading scorer, and then a couple days later, you lose kind of you know your heart and soul of the team and one of your yeah top three leading scorers at the time. So yeah, that was uh, that was brutal. But both those guys are back and healthy. Uh, it's good to see them back at full strength. Uh, kind of, you know, just how the team made it through the end of last year. Um, it was really impressive just what they were able to do, make it to the championship game of the Valley Tournament and then win a game in the NCAA Tournament. That's essentially without two of your best players. And so having those guys back, when you start watching practices and, you know, you're around the guys day in and day out, you're like, how did they even do this last year? It's, <laughs> it's kind of wild. But uh, they did, which is nice. Um, but, yeah, the entire starting five is is back. And we had some conversations this week. It's, like, not very often, especially in the in the Drake world, you know, as of late, um, having, like, guys back is kind of unheard of. And now for the last five years, or four years, excuse me, with, with Darren, that you're starting to have some of these guys, you know, come in here as a, a freshman or as a JUCO guy, and they're hanging around for a couple of years. So you actually know the starting lineup. You know some of the guys returning. You don't have to you know, go onto the roster online and, all right, who's, uh, who's <laughs> even playing for my team this year? So it's kind of cool. And, and it goes the other way, too, I think, Michael. I mean, we saw Joe Yesifu make the, the decision to leave and go to Kansas in the offseason. But, you know, yep. I, I, I feel like... You know, oftentimes Drake is one of those schools where a guy like Yesifu will have some success or somebody, and they'll transfer on. But all five guys coming back is is very, 
I mean, it's great for chemistry. It's great for use. You don't have to keep looking up new names and all that. But in terms of the basketball product, it's got to be great for Coach DeVries because he doesn't have to reteach the system to three new guys every other year. Yeah, I mean, the first-year coach was here. I think there were two players that had uh, returned from the, you know, from the Nico Medved era. Uh, so, you know, the whole first year, especially in the offseason, it was just teaching drills and teaching some of the basic stuff, terminology, uh, you know, how to tuck in your shirt for the, for the practice or whatever it may be, um, you know, just what to, what to wear to practice, what shoes to wear, that kind of stuff. And now it's like all, all second nature to this team. Um, so it's, uh, you know, when you can kind of establish some of those things early on and, and keep the consistency throughout, uh, yeah, you can, you can really dive into the playbook and you can teach stuff that's deeper and that therefore allows for, you know, more success on the court. So, yeah, it, it's really nice having the, the chemistry back. You know, all five starters return, but also on top of that, you know, all these guys have been playing – they grew up in that northwest Indiana area. So a lot of these guys have not only been playing the last three or four years here, but have been playing since middle school. So the chemistry and just, you know, how these guys fight for each other is, is really something special. Talking to the voice of the Drake Bulldogs, Michael Admire here on ESPN Des Moines. Drake in South Dakota coming up on Sunday afternoon at 2 right here. I don't, it's, I don't take a lot out of preseason anything. Preseason football, yeah. preseason basketball, spring training, none of that stuff. What can you take, or what did you see out of Drake in that win over Coe that maybe surprised you a little bit? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I guess the thing, just from you know the, the Drury exhibition and the Coe game, is just uh, maybe the, well, one is the depth of this team, and that was pretty evident in that 18-0 run last year where you, know, you could kind of run anybody on at any moment, and there wasn't much of a drop-off. So you talked about that starting five returning. Well, there, there's a second wave of five that is just as potent, can, uh, you know, can press, can shoot, and, and can run with, you know, in most teams number one. So uh, I think that was, like, that was a big eye-opener. Uh, we kind of knew that might be the case, but, you know, seeing it firsthand was, was exciting. Uh, so I'd say that the depth. And then uh, I, I feel like this team is – a couple areas that they've maybe improved is just physical stature. I mean, these guys are just a little bit, you know, I don't know, more, more fit, stronger, big, you know, bigger. Uh, so it's kind of cool seeing some of these guys, some of the younger guys develop, you know, from the weight room. But then also uh, I feel like it's a better shooting team overall. I mean, uh, with, with Tucker uh, coming in here, he's a, he's not only a threat, uh, you know, from three point range, but from, you know, 25, 30 feet, which can really stretch the floor. A DJ's back shooting the ball well. Uh, Roman shooting the ball well. So, I mean, you have a. I just feel like our our shooting depth too is uh, has really improved. Which, you know, last year there were some stretches where uh, we didn't shoot the ball well, and so, you know, but we're kind of only relying on DJ to be able to do that. So now you can kind of turn to. Tucker or, you know, a couple other guys bring Okai off the bench. Okai jammed to a sophomore out of Toronto. So, yeah, there's just, I'd say, depth shooting and just like the physical uh, nature of this team uh, has really jumped out to me. Another minute with Michael Admire, voice of the Drake Bulldogs here on 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. My prediction is by the time we get to the end of this season, however long this season goes, 
I think Tramel Murphy is going to be the MVP of this team. Yeah, he's such a key to this team. Uh, one of the stats that really has jumped out, uh, kind of go back to last season. Uh, this team was two, or this team was ten and zero last year. So you know, kind of talking about that shooting prowess. You know, if if a guy who can play the three, four, or five, if he can step out and shoot, you know, knock down a couple threes a game. That just adds such a dynamic uh, to this this team. So, man, uh, yeah, it's hard to like single guys out right now because it is so early. Yeah. But uh, yeah, high expectations for Tramel this year, and he's like 24 years old. <laughs> <laughs> he's going on going on like well going on 25. Like I think his birthday is in April. Oh, <laughs> so all right. So yeah, he, he's an old dude, uh, just a veteran presence. He's the old man in the locker room, Michael. Yeah. Appreciate you coming on. I don't know anything about South Dakota. I know they beat Air Force on Veterans Day, which was a total D move. Uh, but enjoy <laughs> the call coming up on Sunday. We'll hear you here on ESPN Des Moines. Thanks for coming on. Uh, I appreciate you, Mike. Later. That is Michael Admire, voice of the Drake Bulldogs. Drake in South Dakota. It's so hard to come up with anything about college basketball in November. And I... I have said no matter what, a baseball season doesn't really start until Memorial Day. And an NFL season doesn't really start until we get to Halloween or, or October. Maybe Halloween, but October. And I feel the same way about college basketball. Like, you watch these games. You know, we get Kansas and Michigan State and Duke and Kentucky and all these teams. They could lose two or three games in November and people are down on them. And it's like, just wait till January. Just wait till they get to conference play. Wait, wait till these young guys, the freshmen, figure out where they're supposed to be. Injuries are going to happen. Guys are going to figure things out. They're going to play meaningful minutes, finally. It's hard to I, – I, I don't like to overreact to anything. And I don't know what you take out of a win over Coe College or a, a team like South Dakota if they beat South Dakota. But if this team rolls and gets, you know, six, seven, eight wins, nine wins in the non-conference, and then they dominate the Valley, that's when you're really going to start to feel good about Drake. And they're the preseason favorite for a reason. And it's because they're bringing – five guys back. I mean, they had, what, nine guys? Uh, lock. They had five guys off the bench get ten minutes. I mean, that's that's a deep roster that DeVries has over there at the Nap Center. So things could be very special, but I always take things with a grain of salt very early in the season like this. Drake in South Dakota coming up 1.30 for the pregame, 2 o'clock tip Sunday from Des Moines, and you can hear the Bulldogs all year right here on FM now on 102.1 FM and 1350 ESPN. Coming up, uh, we'll recap the other couple of big storylines in the National Football League, including the return of Superman. That's next. Follow us on Twitter at ESPN DSM. This is Wicket's World on Des Moines, 1350 ESPN. Happy Friday to you here on 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. It's uh, Mike Wicket with you. This is Wicket's World. Don't forget, coming up tomorrow, we will have a doubleheader for you. we got Drake football taking on St. Thomas early, and then late we've got uh, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish taking on Virginia. Notre Dame always lurking, always lurking for that college football playoff spot, even though they won't join a damn conference. <laughs> They're always sitting there. What are they, number nine, ten, something like that in the, uh, in the rankings? And chaos is happening. Remember last week I told you, stop freaking out about college football playoff rankings, the Tuesday show. Just like I talked with Michael Admire, the voice of the Bulldogs, a moment, a moment ago about not freaking out about 
or taking anything out of college basketball's very early non-conference. Don't take anything out of the pre, the first college football rankings for the, the playoff. Because I told you, Sparty was going to lose. I didn't think Sparty was going to lose to Purdue, but number three, Sparty loses. They're out. Michigan probably, Michigan's not going to beat Ohio State, just not in their DNA anymore. So they're going to be out. Ohio State still has to play Sparty. So it would be perfect for Sparty to beat uh, Michigan, lose to Purdue, bounce themselves right out of the college football playoff, yet still come back and beat Ohio State. That would be classic Michigan State. Classic Michigan State. And then Ohio State beats Michigan in, in the, the game. And then I think maybe Sparty slides into the Big Ten championship game. I don't know how it's all going to work. That's why you can't work, get yourself worked up about Cincinnati this and Alabama that until we actually get there. You know, if you, are, if you want something nice and neat in a little bow, here's what you want. You want Georgia to beat Alabama in the SEC championship game, so Bama is out. Then you want undefeated Oklahoma to keep on rolling. I know we don't want that here in this state. We want Iowa State to beat the Sooners. But that's what the, if you want a nice little nice bow of an SEC champ and an undefeated Big 12 champ, and then you want Ohio State to win out, so they're the one-loss Big 10 champ, that's what you want. And then you probably get the Pac-12 champ if you, if you think that they're deserving or whomever. But chaos happens in college football, all right? Maybe you get those three, and then you get Cincinnati. The point is, you can't go on the radio, you can't go on your message boards, you can't go on Twitter and start screaming and yelling about the college football playoff the second or first week that it comes out. Talk to me in December. Then we'll all be able to freak out if Cincinnati gets the, you know, the Montreal screw job or whatever. But Cincinnati's got to continue to win out. Now, they haven't looked very good lately, but we'll fight. We'll see, you know. Uh, Cam is back in the National Football League. I don't know what this means for the Carolina Panthers. I'd like to know what this means. Sam Darnold got hurt. They gave Cam $4.5 million with tons of incentives I just want to know who the quarterback's going to be because I just acquired D.J. Moore in my fantasy league, so I'd really like to know what the, what the plan is going to be. They're going with P.J. Walker, a guy who played his college ball at Temple and played in the XFL before he got to the Carolina Panthers. He's a guy that can throw on the run. He's different than Darnold. Um, Darnold just was not very good, and then the shoulder injury. But what is the role for Cam Newton in this? I don't know if Cam is a starter. I don't know if Cam cost himself a job by not being vaccinated when he was in New England. Um, I tend to believe that he did, but now he is supposedly vaccinated. He's not immunized like Aaron Rodgers. He's actually vaccinated. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, we wind up seeing Cam get goal line carries, red zone carries. But I don't expect him to throw a whole heck of a lot because he doesn't know the NFL or doesn't know the Carolina offense yet coming up this weekend. No idea. But that's the, the, some other big stuff. I'm running out of time. I didn't have enough time to get to everything. And it's snowing outside right now in Des Moines. I don't have a window. My studio does not have a window to the outside world, but I know it's snowing. Thanks to Michael Admire, the voice of the Bulldogs, and Peter Bukowski from Locked On Packers for joining me. Kara, do you like this one? Do you like Christmas music? I'm so excited. I know I love Christmas music. All right. I'm so pumped. Drake football, Notre Dame tomorrow. Drake men's basketball on Sunday here on ESPN Des Moines. This has been Wicket's World. Have yourself a great weekend. Crank it up. Crank this up. Yeah. Have a good weekend.